Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Good morning and good day from Appamata. Before I start today's Dharma talk on when cold and heat visit, I would like to give a warm shout out to Peter Williams, who edits the online Dharma talks each week and does so with such artistry and extreme patience. <laughs> and um, specifically a couple of weeks ago, he edited the talk I gave and he made it so much better. And um, I'm grateful to you, Peter. So um, koan study. Um, as you may know, on Wednesday evenings, um, once a month, we study koans. It is my personal least favorite thing to do, I confess. However, that means that I need to lean into that. You know, what I resist is just gonna, you know, sort of fossilize. And so that's kind of what today's talk about. So I want to give a shout out to John Tarrant, who has written at least two books about Zen Cohen's. And this talk is um, based on some information that he shared in what he called um, an online Zenosaurus. I'm going to say that again. It's like Zen and Brontosaurus combined. Zenosaurus course in koans by John Tarrant. So John Tarrant is a Zen teacher at Pacific Zen Institute, and he's known for his work enlivening the medieval practice of koan study with modern clarity, energy, and I dare say, surprise. So we will benefit from his work today. So first about koans. As you know, our brain works in a way where we are always sorting information. So if you kind of imagine back in snail mail days, sorting information into mail slots, that's what we're doing. Our brain is doing, you know, below the level all the time. When we encounter a question or problem, we just immediately either put something in the mail slot or pull a solution off the shelf, you know, sort of a prepackaged solution. And that's literally how our brain works. Um, we can't approach, our brain cannot operate efficiently and approach every single decision with um, out some uh, neural pathways that already are telling us what we ought to probably do in that situation. But koans are meant to open a different way of being and thinking. I'm saying thinking really loosely with big air quotes, but definitely being a different way of approaching a blip in the road in the form of a koan. Zen koans break the habit of understanding your life. And a koan prepares us to walk through our lives deeply with curiosity and wonder. So as I mentioned, I have long disliked koans, and I still do not like them. Um, but when I do allow myself to practice with them, the metaphor that I think of that's useful is like sucking on a lemon drop. So as we approach this koan called when cold and heat visit, and we're going to really focus on the heat element, um, I invite you to not try to figure it out with your brain, but see if you can um, approach it 
with the delicious playfulness of sucking on a lemon drop. And so a second introduction um, of a couple of one thing before I share the koan is um, in this koan when cold and heat visit, there is a master teacher by the name of Dong Shan. And I know for me, I hear these Chinese names, they just all kind of sound just the same. Some of them sound kind of familiar, but they just kind of get log jammed in my brain. But um, I wanted to just, um, sometimes it helps me to stop and realize that this master, Dong Shan, was an actual human being. Um, he's not just a character, you know, on, a, on the page. Um, he was a Chinese Buddhist teacher who lived in the ninth century. He was known for his poetic works, including the Song of the Jeweled Mirror Samadhi, which I believe is in our chant book. And I didn't realize this, though. I really feel like I should have. I'm sure that Peg and Flint have mentioned this a hundred times. It was Dong Shan School of Chan Buddhism that Dogen studied before he went back to Japan and founded Soto Zen Buddhism. So Dong Shan really is our ancestor, even though he was actually teaching Chan, not Zen. But that's about as academic I'm gonna, as I'm going to get. Um, but if you're really curious, as I was, um, there is a portrait of Dong Shan on the internet. And um, I didn't go to the trouble of copying and sharing it. Um, the name, the spelling of the name, um, you'll see in a few minutes when you receive the, the koan. And um, Maria, you received that okay? Okay. Um, so in the photo, um, just imagine, um, say, 60-ish-year-old Chinese man. Um, he's got heavy eyebrows. He has, um, this is going to sound weird, but you know what I mean, like a sweet old man mouth. He has a little beard, and he's a little bit hunched over, like he's been sitting a long time, and also like writing and studying, you know, like us, working on a computer. And he's also wearing layers of robes. All this you can see in this little portrait that's just kind of as big as you guys on Zoom can see me now. And in looking at that portrait, I could tell he was a certain age. He, as I said, had he was scholarly. He was a bit hunched over. Um, he wasn't a farmer. Um, and that where he lived, it was cold, just these layers and layers, right? Um, before electric heat or you know other radiant heat solutions, and so this is Dongshan. And so now we'll begin the koan. Dongshan is the master. He's the teacher. When cold and heat visit, a monk asked Dongshan, when the cold visits us, how can we avoid it? We might ask, when the heat visits us, how can we avoid it? Dongshan said, why not go where there is no cold? The monk asked, where is the place without cold? <coughs> Dongshan said, when it is cold, the cold kills you. When it is hot, the heat kills you. So I'll read that again, but I'm gonna change the colds to hot because I feel like it's safe to say that that's what we're all practicing with now. A monk asked Dongshan, 
When the heat visits us, how can we avoid it? Dongshan said, why not go where there is no heat? The monk asked, where is the place without heat? Dongshan said, when it is hot, the heat kills you. So the key line here is in the middle. Why not go where there is no cold? Why not go where there is no heat? With climate change, climate crisis, many of us have had the same thought. I don't know about you, but I've Googled, where can I move to avoid climate crisis? I think about where can I go where my family will be safe? Where can I go where my land won't use, lose value? But there is no such perfect place. Dongshan is pointing out that we can turn towards things that we might normally avoid. What if we curl in toward what we think would be painful or boring or unpleasant or a little sweaty? Not to the point of death, that's not his point. His point is the motive of finding out what is there is more helpful than the motive of freeing yourself from the unpleasantness. And it kind of echoes this morning's quote, which some of you didn't hear. And so I'll read it again. This is by someone named Michael A. Singer. I'm not familiar with him, but it's a great quote. The day you decide that you are more interested in being aware of your thoughts than the thoughts themselves, that is the day you will find your way out. <laughs> so this is basically what Dongshan is saying. And so before we start working actively with this con, I want to share just a couple of other things um, that I've thought of, and then um, also John Tarrant, a wonderful story from him. So in general, when there's something unpleasant, boring, sweaty, we turn away because we think we already know this thing, right? We know everything about it. So like, ah, um, but often, I don't know about you, but I find out when I have the courage and sort of focus and tenacity, um, when I turn towards that annoying, unpleasant thing, be it the feeling of anxiety in my body, being it being this really tiny noise in the Zendo this morning coming from some of this electronic equipment that was very high and quick, um, that was very annoying to me when I first heard it when I was bowing and which I turned towards and then really settled into. Um, not that it didn't also become annoying again, so I had to turn back into it. So basically, if we turn towards the heat or other problem, we might find that it is unknown or mysterious or even interesting. The valuable thing about this koan is just to know that you can make that move unexpected even by you. And those are John Terrence's words, that you can make that move unexpected even by you. When you turn toward cold or heat, you are not taking off the shelf the solutions to life. John Terrence says, the action might be tiny or it might seem to be the opposite of what common sense, right views, your therapist, 
good etiquette, correct corporate policy, and consumer research would dictate. So turning towards something might be a little wacky. But the strategy of going in has many applications. And John Tarrant points out specifically and quite interestingly to me, um, going in, turning towards the annoying, the um, unpleasant, the sweaty, the found is the foundation of comedy. And it is also good, he says, if you are an artist, a body worker, or a scientist. <laughs> and so, wow, for any of those things, let's make sure and do this. So turning towards heat brings in a sense of play. It can. And you can touch the freedom inside this koan through this small move. And so here's a wonderful example that John Tarrant shares. He says, I'm sorry, I just want to keep track of my clock. He says, I had an American friend who was a Tibetan nun and wore the robes, basically swaths of yellow and burgundy cloth. We were talking about how I really didn't like the idea of being a monastic. And she said, I ought to borrow her robes and try it out. So I did. I walked around in a country town in California as a Tibetan monk. My assumption was that I would stick out in some inconvenient way and have to deal with odd responses. The opposite was true. As my friend knew this, I became invisible through wearing the robes and there was something very funny in this. So why not go where there is no heat? Doshan, Dong Shan says, since in fact there is not such a place, why not venture into the heat and see what is there? So I'll invite us now to break into small groups. Um, Maria will set us up on Zoom in groups of three to four people for 20 minutes. Um, she'll give you the instructions, which are these. You'll assign a timekeeper, sit for five minutes, and each person will have two minutes to speak on any question and listeners will listen fully and you'll have time to do two rounds in response to questions that you'll receive. And then you'll have five minutes for additional comments. And so the questions are these, and again, Maria will send these to you, um, but you can begin to consider them. And same for you here in the Zendo, we'll break into, into um, small groups in just a moment. Have there been times in your life when you have turned toward a difficulty or turned away? How was that for you? Two. What are your associations with heat in your life? Passion, hatred, adoration? Three, what do you do to avoid intensity or experience? And four, what else came to you as you were sitting with this koan? Hello. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Can you hear me? Yes? Yeah. Oh, great. Um, I'm going to switch the view. 
And I want to spend just a few minutes hearing um, from your groups about how that went. So um, yeah, I'm curious both um, all of us in the Zendo and those of you on Zoom, uh, raise your um, actual hand or if you're on Zoom and you know how, raise your little uh, electronic hand. And we have time for, um, I don't know, two or three folks to um, maybe four report out on how practicing with um, the koan um, when cold and heat visit. How was that for you? And Maria, can everyone unmute themselves? Joan, Mueller. I'll, I'll spotlight you, um, Robin, so that you can see both of you at the together like that. Okay, thank you. A quick comment. As usual, the best thing was getting acquainted with each other. And that's the best part of practice, I think, when you're with other people. That's my first comment. Thank you, Joan. Anything else? Someone else. Okay. It's so good to see you this morning. Thank you. Um, anyone else here? Uh, we have Genève online um, when you're ready. Okay. Um, Genève? Thank you. I didn't actually raise my hand, but I'm happy to share. Um, oh, it must we, have been waving. We, we, yeah, so we talked about um, all the different ways of, well, all the different challenges, like relationships that blow up, um, or or um, or when someone ghosts you, or and physical pain and fatigue, or physical limitations, as well as. Um, you know, we talked about what are the ones to lean into and what are the ones to let go of. Um, that was one of the things we discussed. Not everything that's unpleasant is something to lean into. And we also discussed to what extent, I mean, how, do, how does one lean into intolerable pain? At what point do you, you know, take um, some medication, for example? Um, and so, uh, we had a really lovely um, connection as well. It was really, as Joan said, a beautiful sharing. Thank you. Thank you, Genevieve. And Maria, if you could, um, I'm not able to, if you could um, remute folks after they've spoken, that will just help the sound level. Um, yeah, there is one thing in the koan that um, I'm curious about. I definitely have um, a reaction to which is the last line, when it is cold, the cold kills you, when it is hot, the heat kills you. Um, I don't think he means that literally. And um, for me personally, um, I definitely encourage this practice is not about um, creating more pain or suffering, either for ourselves or for others. And so that's where the going in, um, the turning towards, um isn't without wisdom or compassion or kindness and so that's where we call in a psychotherapist or um, call into our doctor and find out is there something that can help us um, alleviate physical pain um etc so it isn't a solitary practice and it isn't one it is at the most basic level about 
alleviating suffering. So I think that's really important. So I don't want to um, let that line at the end of the koan go without um, sort of some caution flags and also some um, cooling blankets <laughs> wrapped around them. Thank you, Genevieve. Um, anyone here? Kim? Yeah, yeah. I just thought I'd switch to someone present and then we'll, we'll catch Joel. I mentioned in the group that in uh, Buddhist Action Now, we've been reading a book, My Grandmother's Hand, and um, a couple of people have mentioned this idea that we, of the fight and flight, that mostly we flight about 95% of the time. And what came up for me as I sat for those five minutes was the idea that we think we flighted, but actually, it's even with us more mm -hmm. and the unavoidance of the cold you know there's really no place you can go you think you're running away but actually you're running right into it so and it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and affects you and uh, people can read that also i think in you that you think you're you're not telling someone and then you are so anyway that's fine yeah you're right um the book that um, Kim referenced, um, My Grandmother's Hands, the uh, Buddhist Action Now group is reading on Saturdays. And even if you're not able to join them on Saturdays, I can't recommend this book enough. Um, it's so aligned with our practice. It's such an embodied, um, it, it's about working with um, racism, um, both um, in uh, white people bodies, uh, bodies of people of color, and also police bodies um, is a term he uses. Um, but there are exercises that are physical and that are very much like our practice without ever saying the word Buddhism. It's really about being aware. And I think you're so right, Kim, um, that we think we're fleeing by avoiding conflict or a difficult conversation, but it actually is frozen inside our bodies. And that's how, especially childhood trauma or other really big conflicts that we don't have the wherewithal to address at all ever um how it is they get stuck in our body and so um yeah it's really self-care to be able to practice with um these great discomforts and conflicts even within ourselves until we're ready to actually if there is amends that needs to be made with someone or some kind of conflict resolution um working with ourselves until such time we're ready to to do that work um, thank you, Kim. Um, Joel, um, maybe you'll carry us out unless there's someone else that has something to add. Thank you for unmuting me. Uh, I was in a group with Maria and Sheila and Kathy, and, and Maria brought up a point, I think very much like the basis of what you were just describing, Robin. and, and I don't know, this seems kind of slight compared to what you just said, but I, I was reminded of something in some reading I did um, a couple weeks ago from Training in Compassion, the, the um, uh, Norman Fisher book about the Lojong training. And it, 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 this is, has to do with relationships with other people, but I think it applies to states and, and, and mental states and, and, and aversion in general. Uh, 
he says, remember, dealing with others isn't just dealing with others. We think of it that way, but that's a mistake. Dealing with others is dealing with ourselves, dealing with others. There are no others apart from, from us, and there is no us apart from them. Our problems with, uh, with others are our problems with ourselves and vice versa. Recognizing this is the first principle. So it seems like that, that's, that, that Norman Fisher is talking about the place where there is no heat. You know, that somehow being willing to turn toward that part of us which desperately wants to get out of this or desperately wants things to be different and, and patiently being with it to the extent that it's possible and that there's, I've, there are certainly cases where that is not possible uh, that that seems to be what Deng Shan is talking about to me. Mm. Thank you, Joel. Um, another wonderful book, um, Norman Fisher. I don't, what's the title of it, Joel? Training and Compassion. Training and Compassion. Um, it's one that my um, council has been practicing with for some time, and we're almost at the end. That, um, the slogans are actually from a Tibetan Buddhist tradition, not the Zen tradition, but Norman Fisher is a longtime Zen um, practitioner and teacher and poet and writer. And he writes so beautifully and extremely accessibly, which is really important to me. Um, and he really, I mean, that's it. You and Norman Fisher, Joel, nailed it. Um, it really is always about us and our thoughts and our attachment to them. Does anyone else um, here in the Zendo want to share anything? Any final words from anyone there on Zoom? It's been so rich to be together, and especially I haven't seen you for a while, Olivia. Um, it's so nice to see you again. And then um, some new folks who I haven't met before, Sheila and Marla, Maria and um, Milan, I think uh, we've been together before. And um, of course, it's so wonderful to see you, Mirren, and Kathy and Nelda and um, Rosemary and everyone, Claudine and Genevieve. Um, it's really so special to be together. And I, at least speaking for myself, have a new relationship to the heat, even though the heat is not changing. And I wish the same for you, at least in a moment, and then another moment later. So um, may you all be well and have a wonderful week. And we'll continue with um, the rest of today's service. <laughs>